This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the IT consultant extraordinaire, Simon <laughs> Belanger, as we work through all of my tech breaking down in the exact same day. Simon, like, why in the last four years have we gone from USB 2 to USB 3 to USB C to Thunderbolt to back to USB-C. What is happening, dude? I just have wires yeah. everywhere and none of them work. Well, I know the USB-C question. So that's because there was a European Union ruling against Apple that forced against them Apple. to make it uh, kind of a universal, which the USB-C is. I know that answer. And I think the uh, they're just faster than USB 1, 2 and all that stuff. I think that's, yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I can imagine that the tech is better. And you're right, Apple is finally playing nice with the other kids in the sandbox here when it comes to adaptability uh, with their stuff. But then I just got this new MacBook with the M2 Pro chip and the charging is back to the magnetic one, not the USB-C. Oh, yeah. So I don't know yeah. what is going on here, man. It's been my MacBook is the same. So I, I don't know. I just re I thought it was always like that because it was my first MacBook Pro, but it's still the magnet. I have the magnet too. Yeah. You got the magnet? Yeah. Because my other Pro was the USB C, which was nice because it worked with everything. Anyways, there's a reason why my camera is lower than usual for people watching on jointci.com. Quick plug get this podcast on video. And now you get a nice, you know, you get multiple angles of, of me on the pod lately because yeah. none of my stuff works. I must say, though, before we get started, like, I saw a video you posted, man. You're doing pretty good on that workout stuff. You're looking uh, oh, pretty fit. Oh, well thank done. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, on the bro. other hand, I'm embracing the dad bod, so it's uh, the opposite uh, spectrum. No, but you are not you are I not mean, dad bod. Well, it's more because I have back issues, so I have to, uh, I do a lot of rehab kind of you know, mobility stuff. So I do the most workout I can with my limited mobility. I'll just say that. Yeah. So I, I did ended up doing that like 75 hard for 45 days that I talked about last year. So that was 90 workouts in 45 days, which was absurd. No alcohol. And then now I'm doing five days a week working out right now. But dude, it uh, it is so much more fun when you like do sports in the mix. So, like I got like flag football on Thursdays, you know, rock climbing tonight. I've realized that that just makes it so much easier yeah. to stay fit. It's like, enjoy it while you're still in your 20s and you can't do all these things together without requiring maintenance days afterwards. <laughs> like you'd be on the floor stretching for three weeks. Oh, I think you are regardless. But uh, Yeah, pretty much. But that's why the bike is nice. Mm -hmm. That's why the bike is nice. That's why you are into the, into the yeah. bike. Slower like my dad, same yeah. thing when he had a lot of pain with his knees and his hips. The bike, it, really good recovery too, like in terms of getting your muscles dialed in with low impact. Dude, what is happening with China? A lot uh, of stuff. I, have, I, <laughs> I see here that you have China as our first segment of yeah. the day. And I, I, and I wanted to start there because 
I don't know what's going on. So I, I'm, I'm excited that you're doing this and I'm just going to be listening and learning and, and probing and asking questions because you're kind of more looped in on the geopolitical stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it feels to me there is very little confidence from the international and US capital that's just completely flown out of there. The ETF inflows to these these China-based equity ETFs has dropped off a cliff and some of them have completely disbanded and pulled out. Like, what is happening? There's a lot of stuff happening. And I'll just caveat by saying, like, this is just kind of high level. I've been reading a lot on it. I'm not going to do a deep dive on any of these points. So I do encourage people that are interested in that. There's some really good people, macro uh, people out there, if you're interested in learning more about what's happening in China. One of the biggest challenges, however, in China is uh, the CCP and the reliability of the data as well. So there's always some questions regarding the reliability of the data, or sometimes they'll just decide to stop publishing it. For example, they did that for youth unemployment. I think uh, it was late last year, middle of last year, where it showed 25% of younger you know, working age people were basically unemployed, which is extremely high, and they essentially just stopped publishing it. So just things like that, that you have to take Anytime yeah. a metric is stopped reporting is like typically a red flag. This goes for companies too. We do. Yeah. I, dude, I want to start like a systematic trading thing with the FinChat data on companies that change reporting or stop reporting a K- core KPI. They're just like, oh, we don't want investors to be focusing on that anymore. Pivot. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of goes right. If you remember, and I know we're diverging, but I guess it works well with the China story because Apple has such a big presence in China too. But remember when Apple stopped saying how many units they were saying and just the revenue from iPhone? I mean, it's clear that they did that because, you know, they knew that the units had basically plateaued and that it wasn't really worthwhile. They moved to the installed base. Yeah. They started calling it the installed the base. The installed base right. and just saying it as a segment, right? Like a revenue segment, which wasn't based on units per se. And clearly, you know, I don't think, you know, obviously they have an interest in doing that and shifting kind of over the revenue and the installed base because it helps, you know, bring more perspective to the services. But at the end of the day, the probably the underlying reason is they knew that they had peaked in terms of units and they wanted to shift what investors were looking at. That's right. I I totally agree. And this happens with almost every company that doesn't change segments. The only company that I can think of that has lasted the the tale of time of being public for decades upon decades and their segments never change and are just dialed in. Sometimes they'll add new ones if there's a new business, but they won't remove them and they won't mix them around like Disney. <clears throat> Disney's a bad actor for this. Is Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. Man. Berkshire Hathaway's segments have been clean as a whistle and just beautiful to look at uh, for a very long time. And I'm going to talk more about Berkshire, but but back to China. Back to China. What's going on? Before we took a little detour into the, uh, the, <laughs> into the, the, the Apple, let's just say it. So the stock market, first of all, has been doing terribly in China. Because of this, Chinese officials have also placed some restrictions on short selling. If you're new, short selling is just a way of betting against either the stock market or a specific company. So you essentially bet against it by short 
short selling. I won't go into the mechanics of it. We've talked about it in previous episodes. If you're interested in us going over how it works, just reach out to us on Twitter or email and we'll happily uh, direct you to that episode. Sovereign wealth funds, so sovereign wealth funds in China, those based in China, is actually they're buying up ETF shares to boost the Chinese stock market. And there's a lot of reasons why the Chinese stock market hasn't performed well in the last five years. Clearly, there's been a shift in terms of free market and government intervention in the economy and in business. And obviously, like you kind of alluded to, that has definitely scared foreign capital. For If you're a foreign investor investing in China, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can invest directly. If you're an uh, individual investor like us, you can go the ETF route or an ADR, which is a American depository receipt that gives you essentially some economic equivalent to the shares. But at the end of the day, if there's any kind of capital controls from the CCP in China, there is a strong case to be made that it will affect foreign investors very negatively. And capital tr- controls essentially, you know, an example of that is you own shares, let's just say directly of Alibaba, you own the Chinese shares that are listed over there, you sell for profit, but the money is with the bank that you're dealing with in China, and they won't let you get that money back out to Canada or the U.S. That's a very basic example, but that's what capital controls it. And that's a big reason why investors like investing in the U.S. I mean, I there are some counter arguments to that as well, but because the capital controls, they're much lesser or not present in certain circumstances. And a few weeks ago, there were reports that China was also considering. So Bloomberg said that China was considering a $278 billion stock rescue package to pump up the stock market. So there's definitely signs that the Chinese, the CCP is well aware that the Chinese market has not been doing well and they're mulling different things or even taking action to try and help the uh, the stock market. So that's the first thing that's going on there. Anything you want to add? I mean, look no further than like Alibaba as a, as a, as a chart. Mm-hmm. The story around that company, the growth stalling out, the founder and CEO gone missing out of... You know, it just looks to me as the pinnacle, and 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 we've lost a lot of confidence, and multiples have come down, and and people will say that the the stocks are very cheap because, you know, you know the businesses are still intact, and and I and I think that they are, but I'm just gonna pull up a a, a graph here of of Tencent. Okay, this is Tencent's top line revenue in Chinese yen. Okay, let's throw it in USD here. The business. Basically, up until like the Q3, Q4 of 2021 was growing very steady. Right when we had these kind of concerns around government intervention, that's when those, that's around when, when those discussions kind of popped up, right? And, and the stock got hit very hard. But look at the actual numbers. The, these companies haven't grown since. Like, there is a direct correlation. I mean, they haven't shrank and the businesses are still intact. They own great assets. But, you know, if I, if I take this graph out on an annual basis and go further out, I mean, th- this was a, a train that was not going to stop. It was caggering at over 25% a year up until here. And then look at the, look at the revenue on the top line for Tencent 
since then. It peaked at 45 billion USD in 2021, and it's now down at 41. Yeah. Prior to that, this was a runaway freight train in terms of growth. And so beyond just the narrative, the metrics are not as bad as the story, but they do show how this change in the way that these companies operate and how the government's going to interact with them is directly resulting in financial results for these companies as well. So it's a bit of a double whammy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Tencent, I, uh, they obviously were pretty impacted. The CCP put in restrictions. They heard I bought the stock. Yeah. They, they, they literally, they literally yeah. heard I bought the stock. It's right about then. And uh, they, you know. they capped the, I think it was... <laughs> kids are under a certain age can't play more than i think an hour a day of video games or something like that so i mean whether you think that's a good thing or not you know that's beside the point i think the point is that they kind of will act unilaterally because it's not a democracy and some people may say that's a good or bad thing because they can get decisions faster i mean that's i'm not there to debate that but from an investing perspective i think it's it's a bad thing because there's not really a court system. It's really the CCP. I mean, they have their courts, but I, I don't know to what extent, you know, they really have a save this. The leadership doesn't want something, but it just goes to show they can really take action that will adversely affect, especially foreign investors. That's right. I mean, Xi Jinping, didn't he like change it so he's in power for life no matter what? Like, yeah, correct I don't me think- if I'm wrong. Like there was, <laughs> yeah, there was used- something that was was done years ago that made him, you know, remain in in power until he dies. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm not 100% sure, but I think you're right. And But one thing I know is that the power is definitely consolidated much more around him, whereas in the past it was more, you know, more like kind of governing by committee. There was more a, a select group of key officials that would make decisions together. Now it's basically Xi Jinping that decides like what direction they're going and then basically tells his lieutenants on, you know, we're doing this, get it done type of deal. Now to add to that, so you we've kind of been getting to this point. So there's also been a significant drop in direct investment in China. So especially foreign direct investment has fallen off a cliff. So that can be, and I don't have the the graphic in front of me, but um, if you look it up, if you look foreign direct investment in China, it's pretty eye popping, and that can be a pretty severe problem for China because sure the governments could intervene here and do a massive stimulus package with the economy. But if they do that, there's most likely going to be some severe repercussions on the Chinese yuan and its value. It's most likely going to depreciate it a lot, which would create some more problems for China. So a lot of people have been saying, oh, you know, they can always do a big stimulus package. Well, the issue is that there could be some pretty severe consequences because of that. And the fact that foreign direct investment has like rapidly declined is putting a lot of pressure on the Chinese economy. The third one here is the population decline. So that made headlines, I mean, for now. And I know the UN, I believe, has some projections that are either it's the IMF or the UN, one of those international bodies that shows that China's population will be under a billion by like... 2100 year 2100 i think that's a bit like doing projections that far out i mean i think they should 
you always should look at those with a big grain of salt. But nonetheless, they, their population as stall, it's actually declining. They still have 1.4 billion. But Again, this is not good for economic growth. Some people may say, well, they still have a lot of China that's uh, kind of rural, that there's still a lot of potential, and rightfully so. But nonetheless, their population is still, at the very best, stagnating, but most likely going to be continuing to decline in years and decades to come, according to most predictions. And... One of the big reasons for that is the one-child policy that was in effect from 1975 to 1979 to 2015. That's still having some. Was repro- it that long? Oh yeah, yeah. It was a very long time. I didn't time. know. I yeah. thought it was well after 79. Oh, that's that's fascinating. I didn't realize that it started all the way back then. Yeah, and the issue with it too is it just. It, you know, it's been gone almost for a decade now, but it's the behavior that it's conditioned people. And the population pyramid that results from that. Yeah, exactly. A few decades, yeah. Yeah, and I think for a lot of, you know, when I was a bit younger, I know that families looking to adopt children, a lot of them were looking to adopt specifically uh, girls from China. Because a lot of families, they wanted, obviously, there was a one-child policy, so they wanted to have a boy. So there was a large amount of Chinese girls that were up for adoption because of that. I mean, there's all different kinds of unintended consequences to that. But I mean, from what I've seen as well and what I've read, there's also an increase, you know, China as their economy has really grown in the past couple of decades. So cost of living has risen. There's been a change in social values, ideologies and so on. So it's going to probably take some time to reverse the trend. How long? Who knows? Will it just keep declining? Maybe, maybe not. But it's definitely from an economic perspective, uh, not a great thing to see your population uh, level out. And the Chinese real estate problem is probably the one that has gotten the most press. So this one, obviously, we heard, I think it was last week or maybe the week before that Evergrande was filing for bankruptcy in Hong Kong. And the issue that it may pose for creditor outside of China who are owed more than $25 billion of the debt. So if those creditors are not treated fairly in the bankruptcy, you know, in favor of Chinese creditor, which it's a big, it's, you know, I don't think it's a non-zero chance here. Well, that could even further impact foreign direct investment because why would you provide debt to Chinese companies if you're not going to you're going to be at the end of the line, probably who knows, maybe you'll even be behind uh, Chinese based shareholders because they want to give priority. Yeah, usually it's, you know, debtor are before shareholders and there's different levels of debt as well. So some will have priority over others. But that's something to keep in mind, because depending how that goes, it could really damper investor sentiment. And there's a substantial part of its liabilities that our project under construction. That's more of a probably a societal issue here, because the question here is what will happen to those projects and the deposit that were put on those by normal Chinese people for the most part? What happens to the companies that are owed money by Evergrande? It looks like you know, for now, it looks like they'll try to keep the operations going. But for how long uh, will creditors just ask for liquidation of all the assets? Will the Chinese government intervene? A lot of questions still remain in the air. And the Chinese government has said that it is looking to work with an air quote here, high quality developers to ensure that they can stay in business and complete housing projects. 
Now, this is extremely worrisome. I think it's actually even more so than the Evergrande uh, filing because, in my view, if high-quality developers need assistance, how big is the real estate issue in China? Because, you know, by definition, a high-quality developer should not... In my view, maybe you have a different view, Braden, but in my view, should not require government assistance. A high-quality develop. How are we defining high-quality? <laughs> uh, I mean, the way I define it in my mind is, you know, you're talking about, you know, someone who's... Had- independent. Independent, but Able- also, you know, manages their business well, has experience in this. You can count on them to... Complete projects, make a bit of a profit because it's like a high quality employee. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's a high quality business, right? That's uh, to me, that's kind of the implied truth about a high quality developer. But I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's also the question about Country Garden, which defaulted on its U.S. denominated debt back last fall, although it seems like they are trying to make arrangement with creditors, so that remains to be seen where it goes. And 30% of China's GDP is actually tied to real estate, and approximately 70% of household wealth is tied to real estate. So if you thought Canadians were high on real estate, I think uh, think again. I mean, we're we probably are, but a bit behind China. It sounds like I was gonna say this sounds familiar. Yeah. Now, and investment bank Nomura estimated that there's approximately 20 million homes in China that are unfinished, and the funding gap to finish these homes would be approximately 446 billion dollars. When I watched a I watched a YouTube video the other day of this guy who was traveling through mainland China showing off all these unbelievably high-tech cities that just like randomly have the population of like Toronto times two that you've never heard of. There's all these like city centers that you've never heard of in your life if you're not familiar with the country that are gigantic populations. And then there's all these really cool futuristic cities that are also around that he literally brings you around that are, are abandoned. Like, uh, you know, unfinished housing starts, impressive infrastructure, and no one lives there. No one's an exaggeration. But of, of course, they were, they were built out for like a population of 10 million. And like in the thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands at the max are living there. And so it's just weird. Like, how did that happen? Like, I guess it was just like, let's build, let's build, let's build. Oh, wait, population pure. Like these things are not, these things are connected. All these problems that you're mentioning, they're connected. Like the population pyramid leads to issues with real estate, which leads to the, the creditors, which leads to, you know, th- yeah. these things are connected. Yeah. And most, a lot of the local governments, or if not like all of them, a lot of their revenues was tied to, I think, the land being used to build these developments. So they were dependent on that for sources of revenue. I don't know like the intricacies like exactly how it worked but i know there's a relationship there and for people who want to look at something a bit like you were talking as maybe a a proof of how you know china overbuilt or kind of built and then uses it for a little bit and just forgets about it google images of the uh 2008 olympic stadium it's essentially abandoned Mm. yeah and if people uh, a bit like maybe you were a bit young for those olympics but i'm sure you remember i mean 
It was. That this, was Beijing. That right? was Beijing 2008. Yeah. I mean, this was, yeah. you know, it was amazing to show that it, they did. Yep. And I think there were some, you know, just the, the old, like the amount of money that was put in there and to see that, you know, that building barely used or like from what I can see abandoned from most. Yeah. Of it work. looks like it's falling apart. Yeah. Like it's, it's literally crumbling. Yeah. Uh, based on this image. So it's anyways, it, I just thought when you mentioned that, that was kind of easy. I uh, Sorry, that was that reminded me of that. Oh, these pictures are eerie. It looks like a, a capsule in time almost. huh? Yeah. It looks like Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it's like all eerie, like just abandoned. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the last thing I'll mention here to show that there are signs that things are not going well. So the People's Bank of China, so the PBOC, announced a few weeks ago, so they're the central bank over there, that the RR rate, so triple R rate, which is the reserve ratio requirement for banks, would be cut by 50 basis points on February 5th. So they announced that in advance, which is not usual for them. And the RRR is the amount of liquidity that banks need to have on hand. So the higher the requirement is, the less the banks have to loan out and do other banking activities. So in theory, if this is lowered, then banks will have more room to make loans, which in turn should help spur economic activity. The problem with that is lowering those requirements doesn't mean the banks will turn around and do more loans if they feel like there's not the opportunities, not really worthwhile, or it's too risky. And that's clearly an indicator that the Chinese official, the CCP, is aware that the economy is struggling and they're trying any way to stimulate the economy. And the last thing I'll say is over, I mean, if you look in the past year or so, you can compare the uh, CSI 300. Uh, if you want an ETF that tracks it, it's ASHR and you'll really see that it's not it's not great I mean it's um it's completely trailed the S&P 500 it's been in a massive drawdown over the last couple of years and I think it just shows that there's a lot of capital fleeing China whether you know if people want to make some bets on China betting that you know all these risks are overblown you know is their own money personally. I think there's just too many risk. And even with such low valuations, I think there's still a whole lot of risk. And the upside is somewhat limited. And maybe the last thing I haven't even mentioned for investing in China is what happens if they start being aggressive towards Taiwan or do an invasion? What kind of sanctions will there be on China? What kind of capital control will they impose against foreign investors if that happens? So there's all these different risks uh, involved with China right now. The whole market is effed if that happens. Yeah. No one's producing any chips. Like, dude. No, it's going to be a bigger problem. Yeah, it's not going to be just (laughs) China, to be clear to your point. But the S&P will get crushed if that happens. So I think it's just a good lesson, especially for those are kind of new. And I I invested in China a few years ago. I think I sold my position a year and a half, two years ago. And I took a bit. I think I broke even on Tencent, took a loss on the ETF I had. So I've been there. But just to be aware and assign a appropriate probabilities to different outcomes if you do want to invest in China because there's a lot of there's a lot of risks it's not just one thing there's a lot of risk for me it's like kind of like one of those fool me once you know f- fool me twice thing because I I got value trapped on the Chinese tech names 
I lost some money doing that. Um, happy very to be open about it and, and, and what I've learned from it. The, the th- main thing I've learned from this is like, I don't know anything about China. Like I, I, like, I really don't. I've been to Hong Kong. I've never been to mainland China. I don't know. I don't know anything. And, and I'm willing to, to say I don't know anything. I don't know what products are popular. I don't know which things are up and coming. I don't have a good grasp on if Chinese equities are value traps or opportunities today here. If you look at the metrics, they look like slam dunk uh, opportunities. You factor in all these other things and you, you question value trap. The answer is I just don't know. And I just don't, I don't care to opine on it anymore with the equities. Like I used to have a hot take on them being critically undervalued. And now I've just realized that I don't know. Well, they're still more undervalued than they were then. <laughs> I know. I know. Exactly. <laughs> That's a crazy thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was like 30% to go on the, on the index. And I thought it was va- extreme value then, right? So it's like, <laughs> I mean, someone's yeah. right. And one pandemic later too. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Someone's going to be right on this, whatever way they take the trade. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay if I have no hot take on it now at this point. I used to, I used to feel like I have to have an opinion on this and I just don't. No, I agree with you. For me, there's just too much risk. I'm so fascinated by, you know, reading on it, but uh, not enough to put my my heart or money in there to, to invest. That's right. And you know what? For those listening, we have lots of Chinese listeners. We have lots of Chinese Canadian listeners here who listen to the show that chances are, you know, a lot more than than both of us about this stuff and maybe you're in a better position to have a, a particularly hot take you know we, we appreciate you thank you for listening and there's a really good chance you're listening to this and thinking i know i, I know what i'm talking about this stuff. good like perfect like mm-hmm. you're in a position to make better decisions and and go with what you know here yeah it's like the number one thing with investing it's just like whatever you understand what you know yeah the last thing i'll mention you actually reminded me something uh so i was talking to someone a couple months ago who was uh like she lives in a country that there's uh i think it's guana it's just on the uh the edge of venezuela and there's been some contention about the oil reserve venezuela trying to take claim and so on and i was aware a little bit of this situation but she's from there and the insights you can get from talking to someone who's actually from there versus the reporting that's done it's all i always find that super fascinating um, she was amazed that I knew about her country. She like couldn't, re- couldn't like she was surprised I was asking questions. But I think it goes to what you say. You know, if you're if you have friends or family in China, you're probably getting different insights that we are because they are on the ground. Like they can see what's happening, and I think that's valuable. Yes, it's maybe more anecdotal, but I think that's also some very valuable information. Uh, if that's something that interests you to invest in Chinese equity is gather information from all the various places that you can. Yeah. And build conviction in a way that makes sense, right? Like there are the ways that we get this news in media <laughs> and the way that people actually understand it across the world with political interests. This information, like 
<laughs> who knows, man? Who really knows? And I just have no confidence anymore to, uh, to opine on it. Let's talk about all-time highs, Sion. I'm just l- looking at time. I know you have a hard stop in like 30 minutes. So we'll do, we'll do this, uh, this segment. But before that, quick question for you today is Apple Vision Pro. If you had to, <laughs> to, to bet some money on it, you've seen the photos, yeah. you've seen people posting people uh, with it. People have it in their hands now. Apple Vision Pro, winner or dog for winner Dog or distraction for Apple over the next five years, if you had to pick one? I I would say it's probably winner dog or distraction. Probably more of a distraction, to, to, to be honest. I think it'll become a nice little segment for them, but I, I don't think it's going to be significant of a segment in the next five years it may become after that but i think it's still too early okay, five years yeah they'll need you know think about it when you know when you just think about it for a second just a cost is prohibitive right now for a lot of people so they'll have to come out with a more affordable version when is that version coming out and then when that more affordable version comes out then they also have to give it time for adoption uh, making sure developers go on this new platform because i'm sure the apps will be different than the laptops than on your iphone so i just think five years is too short of a time i think it'll probably do well over 10 15 years but I, yeah i wouldn't okay. put large sums of money on it <laughs> okay fair enough yeah i just look at the demo of a kind of <laughs> as i look at all these these cords on my desk uh it is timely as i've, I've i'm having this you know tech explosion here with nothing working the a form factor of a virtual workstation without all this hardware and junk with just one device, I think is inevitable. So the the virtual workstation where we go into this dystopian world, we go into the you know the cafes and people aren't working on their laptops anymore, which is probably dystopian for someone 20 years ago, is actually just gonna be, you know, some sort of form factor, whether it's this big goggles, whether it's like some chip in your brain neural link crap. There is going to be a digital workspace. I think that that's, that's inevitable. And Apple's just in a good position to be able to capture that because they already own the ecosystem when it comes to the hardware and the tech. And Microsoft also as well. I just don't have any confidence that they can build hardware like Microsoft, uh, like Apple can. And so they're in a really good position right now to be able to capitalize on that. And on cost, one, one last point on cost. If you look at inflation adjusted, the original Mac is like four times more expensive than this Apple Vision Pro coming out today. And so, you know, Moore's Law type of thing, I do think you're going to see a lot of deflationary pressure from them making this thing over time. And a MacBook Pro is like four grand if you want the you know decent ram on it anyway so we're not that far off no you know, in terms of no cost. definitely not i think my main thing is if you have a macbook pro like you don't really you know the the, the original mac yeah it was very expensive but it's because there wasn't really much alternatives right you didn't have already have something that 
does very similar in terms of productivity. Sure, it'll it might be a little increment, but you know, to me, like my MacBook Pro, like I have no desire to dish out what like four grand Canadian, forty five hundred. I don't know what the cost is. Thirty five hundred USD is that is that the price? Yeah, I think that's the price. Yeah. yeah. So that's probably the perspective I take, but maybe in the next upgrade cycle, then it would be something to consider. Let's look at all-time highs. You know, the market has ripped. I I did almost double digits on my portfolio in January. Like, absurd. I think that's only happened in my portfolio like three or four times, and it happened like twice last year, (laughs) January this year. This, This is what's happening with the market. And... I wanted to comment on the concept of all-time highs, particularly when it comes to an individual security and not not sort of any commentary on which way, which direction the market moves when it reaches new all-time highs. But when it comes to individual companies, I tweeted this out in, in Jan, which is a company's stock can trade at all-time highs and be at its most attractive investment opportunity ever uh, based on the risk, reward, and valuation. And additionally, this can also be true that a company's stock can trade at all-time highs and be at its least attractive investment opportunity, like cannabis 2018 versus at its most attractive opportunity of, you know, maybe one of the big techs in 2012 as they asserted domination cloud computing on the world. In a vacuum, all-time highs have no bearing on future long-term returns. It, It has no bearing on the future performance of the equity. Let's use Berkshire and go back a few decades to the mid 90s for this experiment. Berkshire Hathaway hit a big peak after a huge run up in 1997. Another new peak one year later in 98. In 2000, it was coming up on a peak, and then it was a terrible few dog years for the market, technology in particular, and not even Berkshire was spared. The stock did nothing for years, and then it ran up and hit an all-time high peak in 2004. Did it again for a few years, ran up big, all-time high in 07, again in 08, Stock hits $100 per share, the B class. The great financial crisis happens. The stock doesn't recover, trades flat basically till 2013. The stock rips, moves to all-time highs. Wow, Berkshire's at all-time highs again. It then proceeded to make all-time highs, Simone, in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 2020, 2021. It made all-time highs in every single year consecutively. And then 2022 happens, the market goes down. 2023 all-time highs last year. Again, the stock has been ripping, and the B share is looking to cross $400 per share at all-time highs. Imagine you had that huge run-up in 2004, and you sold the the stock because it had just ripped to all-time highs. Now, now Berkshire Hathaway is not the norm here. I'm not I'm not trying to suggest that. This is a once in a lifetime stock, uh once in a lifetime wealth generator run by once in a generation type talents. 
but the important lesson here is that your if your investment thesis is panning out as it as you hoped, I bought the stock. I'm hoping it goes up. If you're gonna hold it for a long time, don't you want it to hit all time highs consecutively, like Berkshire did in 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21? I've I've seen uh, pundits mention that you should sell stock because it has reached all time highs here in the early innings of 2024, and. If you bought a stock with the intentions of seeing it hit all-time highs, aka it goes up, it just makes no sense. So to, to loop this back around to my original statement, a stock can both trade at its most attractive and least attractive investment opportunity in its history at all-time highs, aka it has no bearing on future long-term returns. No, that's exactly true. And all-time highs, you always have to put in perspective because it's only a price, right? It's only, you know, it's a share price. A share price means nothing on its own, right? You have to put it in perspective. That's where valuation comes in. That's where the future prospects of the business comes in. Clearly, if something reaches all-time high, and we learned, you know, this the hard way, at least I, I won't speak for you, but I learned this the hard way in 2021, right? There were stocks that... Hit all time high and the valuations were absolutely crazy. Like in hindsight, crazy. I should have sold all my Teladoc stock at the time. Obviously, hindsight is 2020, but now I'm more aware of this. And if I do see kind of a big run up, it won't be because it's at a all time high. It's going to be because the valuation is all out of whack. And I think it's just like the market's gone completely crazy. That would be my reason to sell, not because it's at all time high. I mean, it happened to be at an all time high, but that's not the reason. Yeah. It just happened to be. Exactly. Right. Like at that all-time high, you can have it trading at one of its most attractive multiples maybe ever, Mm -hmm. but it can also be its least attractive multiple ever. So the the lesson here is actually just that it doesn't matter in a vacuum. It has no bearing on on returns and, and actually really has no bearing on valuation in itself. Valuation in itself needs to be looked at as in a vacuum, whether you're using trailing or forward-looking metrics or projecting. Whatever you were using in 2021, it was crazy. Forward trailing doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter. Price, uh, yeah. price to innovation, baby. Yeah, we're there, back. There you go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we could have time for the next segment here, the one I wanted to do last week. Let's do your last segment, yeah. and then I'll shelf my last segment and put it at the top Sounds of the Sounds good. Here. So this one, I mean, it's called loud bu- budgeting. So it's been making the and it's a new trend apparently on TikTok that is really catching on. So have you have you ever heard of this or No, but I mean we were going to do this yeah. last time and we were yeah. here on the pod and loud but I, you just caught me at TikTok that okay, people TikTok. are making yeah. TikToks. TikTok. So yeah. let's go. Okay, so lo- loud budgeting is people going on social media or TikTok obviously and being vocal about not spending or cautiously spending. So it's funny that it's going viral now. Personally, I've been saying it for years well before I started the podcast. Like budgeting is sexy all of a sudden here on social media. Yeah, exactly. But I think to me it's always been okay to say no to a friend, family member. Uh let's say that you know, they want to go out for an expensive dinner or something like that. Just saying no and saying you don't have the money for it. There's really no shame in saying that. And I've always been very vocal. You'd be surprised. I've said it before. I mean, 
I I could have gone, you know, this sometimes going out or restaurants and sure I could have, you know, put it on my credit card or but it would have affected my savings plan and other things and I would just say, "Look, I don't have any money for it." And most people will be very understanding and to be honest, if they're not then Yeah, you know, probably worth you rethinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably worth rethinking your friendship with them if they're your friends. But can I just jump in there? Because yeah. I, I love, I love this. And and when people say this, like you know, just are open and honest about like, hey guys, this sounds really fun, but you know, like I, I'm in a cash crunch right now, or like I'm really trying to save money. You know, this kind of thing. I was on a bachelor party trip last year and one of the guys we were looking at, we were going to play like three rounds of golf and each round of golf was like 200 bucks a round or whatever. And like, that's, you know, forking that. We're already doing the trip, already getting the plane ticket, we're already getting the Airbnb. And he's like, guys, like I, I, I'm just going to be out on golf, but like you guys go, don't worry about it. Like it's just a lot to I just started a new job. Like, you know, this is going to be tough. And we're just like, oh, dude, perfect. There's seven of us. We're going to pool our money and we're all going to spend 50 bucks and you're going to play all three rounds of golf. Like, don't worry. We, we got it. We covered. Like, we're so, like, we want him to be golfing yeah. with us, mm -hmm. and, but we don't want it to be stressful for him to, to do so. So just like the fact that he texted us that, like, one, respect, and two, then he gets to have a good time. We get to have a good time and it all works out. Yeah. Even, uh, even our recording software is giving him a thumbs up. So. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they're all using the same API because yeah. the the Google oh. Zoom, the the Riverside, you did you the thumbs you up. You weren't on doing a Zoom the call. thumbs up either. It just did it on its own. So it's uh, no. Well, it happens when you count. So I'm okay. a big like okay, big. Counter. I do like a one point one okay. point two point three. <laughs> but no, but it's true exactly. I mean, honestly, if someone said that to me, I'd be understanding. Or you'll see that oftentimes you can find some lower cost alternatives. So, for example, instead of going for dinner and drinks, you could just say, uh, well, I can just do one of both, either dinner or drinks. Or you could go to your place or your friend's place and do a potluck and buy a bottle of wine, right? So there's, there's ways to still be able to do things socially. I'm not saying not to do anything because, uh, you know, you want to save money necessarily maybe you're in a really tough spot and that's what you need to do but there are oftentimes alternatives i mean you can go to ikea and have some meatballs and some swedish beer right uh, it's pretty cost effective or go see a comedy show and have drinks at your place before you go if you want to drink and so take take a page out of your college or university here and just pre-drink get, before get a the solid pre-game in exactly <laughs> but you know My opinion here is that, you know, like if you if your friend's giving you a hard time, like I said, it's probably worth reconsidering that friendship. But even if you think that someone has plenty of money, they might not. So I think that's important for people to remember, because I, we live in a society where a lot of people, you know, they'll see someone and they'll see a nice car, for example, and they'll think automatically this person is rich. Well, We've talked about this before, but Canadians are extremely indebted. The scary thing is that most metrics include do not include the buy now, pay later data. Did you know that? The buy now, pay later debt metrics are very rarely reported to credit bureaus. And so it's very difficult to get a good handle on that. Mm. So I think that's something just to keep like in Like if I use a firm or something yeah. or like one of these buy now, pay yeah. later, like it's... It It doesn't go to my credit bureau, like they don't hit yeah. my score. It's very loosely tracked. Yeah. It's very loosely huh. tracked. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so we yeah. have more debt than we thought. Yeah, Great. yeah, most likely. And if you see someone with, uh, if we go back to the car example, with a nice new car, well, the data I found is that there's 53% chance they got financing on the purchase. So the most common number for um, leasing as well is 20%. So if you add the both of them, essentially three quarters of new cars are either financed or leased. So keep that in mind if you think, you know, you see someone, you think automatically they're rich. Maybe they are, but they're, there's a chance they're not that they're just using way too much credit. Maybe they're using just enough credit. I'm not saying that they are uh, necessarily. And it's the same thing for used cars. 55% are uh, purchased with financing. And that's according to data from JD Power from March of 2023. So I'm assuming as in change and average car payments are right around $800 a month in Canada. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And new cars now cost $61,000 on average, which is pretty crazy. My first car finance was like, Two fifty a month or something. Oh yeah, well you're not getting Holy you're not getting smokes. a new car now <laughs> unless you're yeah. You're but finding- it's not like this was like it's not like I'm like dating myself. This is like twenty years ago. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. No, I mean, essentially, yeah, it's not like what people are doing now is they're doing the financing over like seven, eight, nine years. So this you, before insurance, before all the all the other shit. costs, yeah, and to make things you know to make things like I just said like worse like the loans are just being uh extended and my whole point the car example here is that you know a lot of canadians are indebted and it was more to show that sometimes trying to keep up with the joneses or your friend that you think is rich is really trying to keep up with a friend that has a lot of debt and perception is just perception and it might be close to reality for some, but might be way off for others. So just keep that in mind and don't be afraid to be honest with people if you don't have the money to do something. And, you know, I'll just say it for me. Like, I I don't know, maybe it's my age, maybe it's my personality. I was clearly different when I was in high school. I, you know, you're at that age, you want to impress people. It's different. But as I got older, I changed. And I mean, I got a a new used car and it's a 2017 Jetta and I like it. No bells and whistle. It's standard paid it cash. And I'll just tell a little story. So the daycare that we use for uh, my daughter, literally like the average car is like a hundred thousand dollars to that daycare. And I think Mm -hmm. some people may feel like they don't belong or something like that. I'm just rolling it with my standard Jetta that uh, the key doesn't even work anymore. The beeper, I have to like manually open it. And I'm happy because I don't have any payments on this car. And I think it's just being comfortable with yourself. And I know it's more of a, you know... It relates maybe a little less to investing, but I think it still does because if you're comfortable with yourself and you're not spending money on trying to impress others, it's more money that you get to invest in yourself. So whether it's investing in being able to grow your income because you're learning new things or it's investing by investing in the stock market, I think just being comfortable with yourself will actually be able to, you won't feel like you're giving up anything or the need to actually impress others. Yeah, I, I love this segment because you never underestimate people's willingness to spend money on things to impress other people. I think if I was to look back all the times as a as a young man that I spent money to impress other people, I almost always had buyer's remorse. Like I can't think <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, can't I can think relate of, to that. I can't think of one thing that I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a good 
that was a good buy <laughs> like really good buy yeah. back in the day i can't think of one example of that you know and and cars is just an easy example right? yeah cars is an easy example to point to a lot of people love cars and if that's what makes you happy go for it exactly and that's the what i wanted to finish on if you're a car enthusiast and you really love you know whether it's like a kind of muscle car the 60s 70s cars or there's a certain type of car you're just passionate about and i know some people they're really passionate about that then have added you'll just have to make sure that you know you allocate a reasonable amount of money to your you know from your budget there and that that's completely fine but uh, you know as well as i do a lot of people that have BMWs, Audis, or whatever, name your German luxury car, oftentimes is just trying to impress others and they're not car enthusiasts by any stretch of the imagination. They just want to fit in with their friends that also have those cars. It's utility, right? Like, I I only... I make a joke to my friends, because I live like midtown Toronto, I make a joke to my friends that my car only drives north because (laughs) it is a utility. I don't take it downtown. I think that that's... Dude, I lose like I I feel wrinkles form on my face when yeah. I drive downtown. It's just like so stress inducing and it's pointless. like going to Costco on a Saturday morning. Yeah, or it's just like what do you? <laughs> why'd you do that to yourself? Like you yeah. you chose to do this to yourself. Yeah, great analogy. Costco on a Saturday morning. So my car only goes south because its utility is to bring me to my cottage in the summer and bring me bring my ass to the golf course. Two things which I get immense value and happiness out of. I don't care what I show up in. I really, I really don't care. I mean, I, of course, I want like a nice, respectable. Like I'm not. I don't want to show up. In I a want the car beater. to be reliable. Yeah, yeah I just I want, want yeah. it to be reliable and get me point A to point B and be safe. That's it. That, those are my three criterias for a car. That's it. My new spending framework is by like. My, my quality gauge is going up because I'm realizing that it's not like always cheaper and I don't fr- like throwing out crap anymore. Like I'm anti things and crap. So my, my new uh, thing is I have to be able to consume it. I have to be able to use it or like a gym membership is like a, a good example of like a use it where I don't gain any stuff. <laughs> you know, My membership doesn't give me more crap that I have to own in my house. So consume it, use it, uh, think of like the gym membership, or it's really small. Yeah. Like it's not going <laughs> to- No, no, I think that's good. Yeah. Or if it's clothes, go to Winners, <laughs> dude. Go to Winners. It gets nice I mean, stuff. I, I, I buy you just got to grind. But... You got to grind yeah. at Winners, dude. It lasts me about five years, so it's okay. I feel like the cost per year is pretty good. What does? Lulu. Lululemon. Oh, yeah. Pants, I'm Lulu only. Have you seen the shoes, the Lulu shoes? Have you seen them? Yeah, the me- I've seen the them. men's ones. Yeah. They just came out with yeah. the men's ones. They've had the women's shoes for probably close to a better part of a year. The men's shoes, if you haven't looked them up yet and you're listening to the show, men's Lulu shoes, they're super ugly. I don't know if you've looked at them. I was disappointed. Yeah. They got they got <laughs> st- they got to step it up. Well, we'll have to do another segment on that. I'll have to go soon. So. Okay, you got to jump. Thanks for listening to the pod, folks. We really appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in. You can support the show at jointtci.com. You can leave us a review, a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. And you can go to finchat.io. Finchat is the best equity research platform 
out there for looking at the fundamentals for long-term investors. If you're listening to the show, there's a chance you're either using FinChat or if you're not, you should be using FinChat. You can go on there completely for free at finchat.io. I am the, one of the co-founders and CEO of the company and Simone's an investor. So that supports us as well by using finchat.io. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.